Good morning, Grace Church. We are back again, and we're still doing our thing today. We're still talking about the American church. We are picking on the American church because we're Americans. It works that way, right? If I were European, I'd pick on the you know European church. If I were South American, I'd pick on the South American church. We can pick on the church that we belong to. It's our tribe anyway, right? So we can be critical to ourselves because the heart that we have is to grow and to heal the church. Amen. Now, again, this whole thing has an assumption that we need to fix heal, make whole, make right what's going wrong in the church. If this is the path of the Spirit of God and we have gotten off the path, we need to get back on it. And so each of these weeks, we've, we, we have a thread that we're kind of pulling on. Uh, so this week, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between uh, preachers and pastors. Preachers and pastors. Now, what's interesting is some churches actually just call their pastors preachers, and there's a reason for that. But I plan to open it up just a little bit. Now, um, I, have a, I have a cool story it's a personal story. Um, two of our kids had birthdays this past month. And so, you know, it kind of puts me in that state where I'm thinking back to when they were born and pre-kids. Amen, hallelujah. Pre-kids, nice and quiet. We could sleep in. All the money went to doing things we wanted to do with it. Amen. Okay. You get the idea. And so at this time, Jude was about to, I, I think, you know, he was in the womb maybe about three months. We were late to find a doctor for Nisa. We were late because I dragged my feet on lots of things. Right, honey? Yes. And so we had all these recommendations. Hey, you should try our doctor. You know, he is the best. He is so sweet and kind. Oh, you should try our doctor. She is just so awesome. And she's so, you know, great with the kids and compassionate. Now, if you know me, I typically have a very different criteria for what I'm looking for. And so I kept hearing those words, nice, kind, sweet, understanding, compassionate. Now, these are all great qualities of a, a, a follower of Christ, right? Of a parent. These are awesome qualities. Of a pastor, even. Great qualities, right? But these are not what I'm looking for in a doctor, right? What do I want in a doctor? Intelligence. I want education. I want clear communication. I want you to tell me what I need when I need it. Don't hug me. Don't kiss me. Don't, don't be sweet to me. I want you to tell me if I need surgery. I don't want you to give me a Band-Aid if I need the blade. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we found this doctor. I don't even know how we found this doctor. But we were told he's kind of a jerk, but he's really smart. Amen. Let's meet the man, right? So we walk in the room. I will not repeat the things he said to us because I think my wife would beat me. Amen. But she, he was not kind. He never pulled a punch. He walked in. He looked at you. He shook your hand. He went to the computer. He took his measurements. He looked at things. He used his brain. And he said, here's what you need to do this week. Here's a problem. Let's fix it. You're sick here. I want to make you well. Here's what we need to do. Now, we left the doctor's office probably about 12 times that year and I had to take her for some comfort hugs and food because that man would make her cry almost every time. But I was okay with this because it's my job to comfort. It's his job to be a doctor. Sound good? And so when the moment came when Jude was coming out, things were not smooth. We'll just say that. I, you know, uh, I plan to say the, the uh, details. But I never once questioned if he knew what to do. This guy, he was laser-focused. And when things were bad, he would tell you, oh, yeah, it's very bad right now. And he'd get back to work. 
When my wife and my child are in trouble, I don't need you to hold my hand. I don't want to play patty cake. I don't need balloons or cotton candy. I want you to take care of the baby and of my wife. Sound right? You can be a jerk all you need to be. Just do your job. And uh, came a moment, I think it was Jude or Liam, I always forget which one it was, that came out silent, right? And the cord wrapped around the neck. And you have this moment as a parent where your heart just drops and you are just full of fear. And all these nurses, oh, by the way, we had a nurse the whole time. God bless her heart, right? Sweet thing, right? The whole time she was like, you're almost there, Nisa. Baby, you're doing so good, you're almost there. And so I would look at her face and she's, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. And then I look at his face. He literally left the room to go eat a sandwich. I asked him, I said, hey, what's going on? He said, I'm hungry. I need a sandwich. I don't want to be tired. He walks out of the room. I looked at her. She goes, you're almost there. I said, he just went to get a sandwich. I don't think we're almost there. Honey, save your energy, right? Just one more. One more push for eight hours. This woman cheered Nisa on. Well, Nisa, I was trying to hold her arm back from smacking the woman, right? She doesn't like the powder coating either. But when Jude or Liam, I forget which one it was, when they came out limp and lifeless and all of the other doctors and nurses just freaked out and they were terrified, this doctor did not waste a second, knew exactly what to do. Pulled right out, flipped them around, did this crazy thing with scissors and blades with my child, smacked them, and he was... Crying and breathing just fine. I never once felt afraid because I found a doctor who had one job in my life. I don't need you to be my friend or my buddy or my confidant. I need you to guide us through a difficult situation that I don't understand. That's your job. And, you know, he was our doctor for all three children, and it was such a blessing. I always felt secure because, you know, it wasn't always smooth. There were some moments where there were some big questions that I'm not sure, you know, what the outcome is going to be. But I, I had a guide who walked us through step by step. Very competent guide. Now, we've been talking a lot about some of the threads in the American church, some of the things that we need to get right. We talked about consumerism. But the pressure that every local pastor faces. Do I give people what they want so I keep my job, so I keep the seats filled, so that we keep the machine going? Or do I give them what they need and watch them walk out the door? Do I let them stay shallow and completely disconnected from the depths of knowing Christ? Or do I give them just enough to make them feel good about themselves and give them a gold star and send them out? What do we do? I have heard so many great stories of all the other doctors we could have chosen. The kindest and the sweetest. And you know what? I, it's possible to find a doctor who is intelligent and sharp and direct and focused and kind. That's possible. But sometimes we have to prioritize what is it we're looking for in this moment. Now, the word preacher, I don't want to waste time going into Latin, but the whole idea goes to being a herald. Someone who's literally speaking out in a loud voice, sharing a message. It even harkens back to the time of Rome. The idea of going about with a message, we are proclaiming it everywhere we go. Now, the idea of a pastor is a little bit different than a preacher. Where a preacher has a message and their, their job is to give you the message. A pastor, we draw this word and idea of pastor 
from the concept of shepherding. The idea that there is someone who it's their primary job to guide and direct, to take a group of sheep and to keep them from harm, to lead them to water, and to lead them to food, to lead them to everything that they need to be healthy. Honestly, in the scriptures, shepherding is one of the least praised jobs, right? Now, there's some great people in the scriptures who come from being shepherds, but typically we see it as a very lonely job. It's not a very high-paying job. It's not something that, that people typically get excited about or worship to. Oh, wow, you get to sit with animals all day long and lead them to eat and sit down and lead them to water and you lead them back home. Man, you have an exciting job. But the idea of this, it has an assumption inside of it. If we need pastors, it means this. There's an assumption. It, it's that the scriptures and that the Spirit of God assume that we will have a hard time finding food on our own. That we will have a hard time finding water without guidance. That if we don't have someone whose primary job was to look ahead of the things that we can see and tell us to avoid danger, that we will inevitably walk into danger. That's why we need shepherds, pastors. Now, preaching, if you ask me, is, is, is possibly my favorite part of pastoring. Thankfully for me, it's part of my job. It's something I think I'm pretty good at. In six years, we've never once had someone say, you know what, your sermons are boring. <laughs> I've had people say, I don't like your sermons. I disagree with your sermons. I can't stand your sermons. That's kind of a compliment to me sometimes, you know. But I've never had someone say, oh, you know, just kind of boring, you know. What that meant was I wasn't paying attention to what you were saying at all, right? We, we, we haven't had that issue here. But the one thing that I've heard a lot from other pastors is that sometimes preaching is the most praised part of our job, but it's also the part that people tend to just ignore the most. A pastor I've been talking to a lot, who just he's going through a very difficult time. And, you know, we joke today about how many times can I preach the same thing to people and get an amen from them? Oh, that sounds great when you're on the stage. Because there's certain things I can say to you as a preacher that you will amen, clap, chuckle, laugh, maybe even Facebook post it. Look at this line from Pastor Devin. It was a great one. I've had people give me some amazing compliments. They couldn't even say, you know what? I've never heard someone teach the scriptures the way you do. It's so enlightening. It's helpful to me. But the same people who will post my things to Facebook, who will compliment me to my face, who will tell me how much it's helped them, the moment that I get off the stage and I step into their life and I say, hey, you know that great idea we talked about with scriptures and jokes? What if we put it into your life? And I begin to walk as a pastor, a guide, and I say, you know what? This idea was cool to listen to, but what if we literally walked you and your family this direction to find some food so you can grow up a little bit? What if we took you over here to some water so you could find rest because you're exhausted and you don't even know it? What if you let me give you some guidance? There's some things I see because my job is to be looking ahead of the things you're looking at. What if we take a sidestep to avoid some harm that's coming your way? And I almost always get the same response. Oh, I don't know about that. No, that's not what God's saying to me, you know, because I pray all the time. Wink, wink. 
right? No, I just don't think that's what the Bible means because you've spent so many hours studying the scriptures, right? Nah, I like the idea on the stage, but I'm not going to live that. And see, often we really like our pastors to stay in the box of preaching. Stay up there so you can entertain me a little bit, so I can feel smarter, so you can give me some cool ideas, but don't bring it into my life. It's a little bit too much. There's not many pastors I know whose congregation allows them to literally pastor them. There's pastors I know who have congregations of thousands who let them preach at them all day long because preaching is easy. I don't know many pastors, and I know, I mean, I don't know many pastors who literally could tell me honestly, you know what? I have all these people who let me lead them through life as a pastor, as a shepherd. One of the sicknesses in our churches because we have to entertain and make so many people happy, is that we have put our pastors in a box of only being preachers and not shepherds to our lives. As long as those cool ideas stay on the stage, they're okay with me and I agree with them. But the moment that you want to have me literally live these things out, it's too much for me. Today, I plan to to lay out the the future plans for Grace Church. We have plans now for the rest of 2020. And here's what's going to happen. I've been preaching for six weeks on all of the things in the American church that are flawed, that are leading people astray, that are hurting people, that are causing people to be malnourished spiritually, that are causing us to create all these great seat watchers, but creating few followers of Christ. For six weeks, I've had so many people say, this is the best series ever. I've never thought of this. That was so exciting. That's so true. Thank you so much. You're really on to something, Pastor Devin. I love the edge. It's terrific. Oh, it's so fun to watch you get up there and rant a little bit, you know? I'm glad you've enjoyed these things as sermons, as a preacher sharing these things with you. So what I'm going to do next is lead you as a pastor and say, great, I'm glad that you enjoyed the show because now we're going to put it into your life. And we'll see if you're going to let me pastor you forward through this time. I'm not the best, uh, <clears throat> what's the word for that? I don't have the best uh, bedside manner. Is that the term, Jenny, <laughs> for doctors? Code word for are they a jerk or not, <laughs> right? There you go. If I were a doctor, I might not be the person that everyone recommends because I'm just so great at making you feel good about yourself. This doctor, I'm not sure if he ever, like, helped us leave the room feeling better about ourselves. But he always gave us clear direction. I, I, I never had a question about what he saw that was wrong and the steps he wanted us to take to find healing and wholeness and to take our health to a new level. To protect my children and my wife, he made it very clear to me. If you guys have your your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. 
We're going to go to verse 42. It's a famous passage. I'll start it. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, it's a key word that starts that passage. The word's devoted. Webster says devoted means to commit by a solemn act. I love that. It's not just by words. Yeah, sure, sounds good, I'll do it. To commit by a solemn act, to take a physical, literal commitment forward in your actions. Or it means this, to give or to direct time, money, or effort to a cause, to an enterprise, or to a activity. If I called the pastors on my phone that I know, I said, how many devoted people do you have in your church? No, pastor, not no, 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 I mean really. How many are truly devoted? Not just the ones who give you money, not just the ones who give you time, not just the ones who listen to you. How many of them do all of these things? How many of these people are devoted, are zealous? The Cambridge definition used the word zeal. How many people have zeal, are, are overexcited and all in on growing and following Christ? It doesn't matter the size of the church. Most, if they were being genuinely honest, would have five to ten people. They could have a church of a thousand. Maybe five to ten people are fully devoted, are all in on this thing. See, we talk a lot about church and Christ. But the hardest thing for me as someone who spent my entire adult life devoted to learning about Christ and the church and leading people into it, is that the one thing that everyone misses about following Jesus or about being a part of the church is that it's, it's an all-in or a nothing type of a thing. They didn't have any concept of someone who was like, yeah, I think I'll come if I don't have anything else going on, man. <laughs> They're hippies, I guess, you know. You had hippies in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, kind of. You know, it sounds kind of cool. I think I might try it, you know. <laughs> there's no concept of this. There's cost. There's devotion. There's I'm in or I'm out. But the idea of uh, mm, maybe, I'll, you know, I'll give you like one Sunday, at, you know, at, you know <laughs> at a six or seven. How about that? How's that sound? As we go forward to the verse of 2020, what I'm saying to you is this. I want you to devote yourself, to fully commit yourself to your personal growth. Well, pastor, I care about my children's growth. That matters more. Well, then start growing. I don't care what we do in this building with youth, kids, nursery. If you don't grow, they will not grow. It doesn't matter what we do. 
Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Okay, great. Well, try this. I want you to tell your kids every day to eat broccoli and to eat salmon, and I want you to go to McDonald's every day. Do it. You eat healthy. I've got the fries and the Big Mac. See how that goes down. Get serious. Devote yourself to spiritual growth and see what happens in your family. Don't lean on anyone else. So what I want you to devote yourself to, what our plan is for the rest of 2020, from here through December, Wednesday nights, we are going to bring back live services. Can you believe it? We'll even have transitions. We'll have people in here. Um, we're going to be meeting on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, and the idea here is this. I, we still need this. In the scriptures, one thing that we see here is there's still a devotion to the temple, meaning as much as we are able, because, of course, they didn't have COVID during that time, right? We need the energy and the power that comes from the, the spiritual gifts when they gather in the room, the mature leaders when they speak into our lives, the teaching of the scriptures we need. There is something special about the charismatic experience of worship. It's powerful, and we need that. But I want you to understand this. This is what so many people have been asking me about. When are services coming back? If services were enough to transform your life and your family, they already would have. Stop putting all the weight on something that never transformed your life in the first place. It didn't. There were highs and there were great moments, but this was never meant to carry the weight of your personal walk with God. It was never meant to do that. That's one of the mistakes we've seen in the American church. We put all the weight on this. And unfortunately, this is the perfect place to hide every week or once every six weeks, whatever your preference, right? It's the perfect place to hide. The perfect place to come and check off the list without ever allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to the Spirit of God and to the community of the church. Sundays are going to be reserved for table fellowship. Why? I'll be very clear to you. Because it's what you need right now. It's the part of your spiritual diet that is lacking. It's the thing that you most need. It's not that this isn't important. This is important. But you already think you have this down. What you don't know how to do is to be in small groups with people and allow them to get to know you, to be vulnerable to the Spirit of God, to have people that you go through and you, you allow them to know, hey, I can't figure this school thing out. I feel guilty if I put my kid in school. I'm worried that they're missing on education. If I don't put them in school, I'm worried that they might get sick. I just, I can't figure this thing out. Don't just talk about it on Facebook. Have close friends who will pray with you about it. You will sit and discuss the Scriptures and just sit there and go through life with people you can be fully yourself with. We are going to reserve Sundays for the rest of 2020 for table fellowship. Because here's what's going to happen. If I put services back on Sunday, we will all be tempted to go after the one thing that we all want right now. What everyone wants right now, all of us, including myself, we want normalcy back. We want pre-COVID back right now. We want any taste of the life that we feel like has been taken away from us. We want it back right now. And that's why we want Sunday so back. The same people who hardly ever came to church are knocking down the doors. Give me Sunday mornings. Give me something normal back. Let me come to a place and not wear a mask. Let me go to a restaurant. Let me go to the movies. Let me get something back that I used to have. 
Unfortunately, you don't have a pastor who's interested in giving you what you want. What you need right now is not normalcy. What you need is to embrace the importance of adapting right now. I'm sorry. Normal isn't coming back anytime soon. And even if I could give you a piece of normalcy back, this is not a normal time. And normal things are not going to help you through times that are anything but normal. You need to fully commit to adapting, to changing. We had a conversation about this today. Like any idea of dieting. There are certain diets that are good for everyday things. But then there are diets that are important if you're going to be facing things that are out of the ordinary. If you're about to go run a marathon, I will encourage you to, to down unhealthy amounts of carbs, to carb load, to eat pasta, and all sorts of terrible things I would not tell you to eat on an ordinary day. But you're about to go through something that's going to demand extraordinary things from you. You don't just need Sunday services. You need to develop deep, tight relationships with people that you can go through the unusual things that we're about to experience. And you needed that before COVID ever happened. But you need it even more now. You need people you can talk to, people you can text, you can call. You need to begin forming relationships. And if you don't have them, let us help you start them. You can't make them happen overnight, but you can begin to invest in them. And so this is what we're going to do for 2020. We're going to open this place up on Wednesday nights. We're going to have the youth meet. We're not going to have nursery or kids' church yet, and here's why. Because we don't have the volunteers to do it safely and well yet. So here's the thing. You say, hey, I think it's really important to get the kids in the nursery going. Okay, great. Pray about it. If you feel it's wise for you and your family, if you feel the Spirit speaking to you, I want you to contact us on Facebook, on email, call us, come to the door, and I want you to volunteer to help us do it well in a way that's safe and wise for our children. And then we'll do it. Sound good? Thought so. <laughs> and then, in December, we plan to reevaluate. We have no idea what it's going to do. And here's the truth. No one has any idea. The most serious scientists and, you know, the, the guys out there who think it's all just a, a conspiracy. No one has any idea where this is going in the next six months. But this is, this is what you can know. This is our plan. It's not changing this year, and I want you to devote yourself to it. It's hard to commit to this. It's hard to let people in. It's hard to host. There's so many challenges. So the one thing I want to encourage you with with all this I do not want you to think of table groups as life groups. Life groups are a lot of work. When you have six families and a hundred kids running around your house screaming, yelling, the spirit is a little bit difficult to connect to. Right? I want you to find one other family or two other families tops. Unless you are a pro at life groups, you just, I mean, you're just this amazing Jenny Dumond type who can just juggle while they sing and preach, right? If you can do that, go for it. Has to be sustainable. Have one family over that you're not afraid to not clean up, you know, to, to not get everything perfect. This is what we want, sustainable. 
Because if things get worse and we have to close down services, this is something that we can stay steady and consistent. This can anchor us through uncertain times. And that's what you need right now. You need relationships. You need to go through this thing without being alone. You also need a place where you can begin to have other people help you hear what the Spirit of God is saying in a time when it is so confusing and there are so many voices. I want you to devote yourself. Devote yourself to a table. And in that table group with one or two of the families, find what's sustainable. If you guys can meet every week, fine, do it. If you, if you need to meet every other week, do it. I want you guys to bring your table groups to this place on Wednesday night sometimes. No, you don't have to do it every time. And I want you guys to meet in your homes. But make sure it's sustainable. Make sure that you can manage it because we don't want this to be a one-month thing. I want you to begin something that's going to outlast COVID, okay? Something that we're going to be able to build on, and it's going to help you and your family grow with Christ. Amen.